whatever crisis that a country faces basically take their toll on women. So women in Iraq have stepped up after 2003 to take their role. My name is Dura Kifah. Uh, so Dura is my name and Kifah my dad's name. So you can call me Dura. Dura, does that mean something in Arabic? Is there, is there a meaning behind the name? Yes, certainly. In, in the Arab world, we have stories behind uh, the, our names. So either family names a newborn after somebody that they are friends with, they like, or uh, they want to have the, the, one of the attributes of the name uh, be bestowed on the person's life. So my father is a, is a pilot, is a fighter pilot. He named me Dura. It's the plural form of uh, summit or peak. So it's peaks. Um, I, I guess he was used to seeing a lot of mountains when flying an airplane. <laughs> he was with the Iraqi Air Force then? Yes, yes, indeed. Is he still a pilot? No, unfortunately, he retired like a long time ago. It must have been a very difficult time to be a, a, a fighter pilot. You know, there were many things happening, I guess, in, in, in Iraq at the time. True. Yes, we've had our difficulties, yes. So you're, you're currently living in Baghdad? Yes, I live in Baghdad. Um, it's in the heart of Baghdad. It's, uh, we have two sides in Baghdad called Karh and Rosafa. So they are split by the Tigris River. I'm very close to the Tigris River, by the way, uh, from the Karh side. It's, it's basically in the center of the city of Baghdad. Is Baghdad a big city? It is a big city, yes. There is a big about uh, 7 million people in, in Baghdad. We used to have big houses before the uh, dense population got even more uh, due to, you know, being a center, lots of people having jobs in the city and farmers also try to live in Baghdad, people coming from other provinces to just be there in Baghdad, be in the center of things. And uh, so we had houses uh, of about 600 meters each. Now they... The, the new trend is to split them into like 50 meters each, just to have more space to accommodate the increasing number of population in Baghdad. Did a lot of people come to Baghdad from the surrounding countryside just to find work? Uh, or was it to escape during the, um, the, the sadly, the conflicts that, that you had? Yes, it, it was, it was uh, uh, basically part, uh, both of them. They had to escape. Some of their families had to escape the, uh, you know, in 2014, that Daesh has tried to control almost third of Iraq. And it was horrific, uh, really. So many families have uh, left their houses in the, in the provinces, in the upper north uh, provinces, obviously. Others are looking for work because uh, the assignings on um, governmental uh, uh, posts uh, requires that you are around. It, it's difficult to go back and forth because Iraq is a big country and uh, it's difficult to go like drive six hours on the weekend and come back again. It's, it's also very costly. I finished master's a master's degree in uh, translation and creative writing. It's with the Faculty of Arts. I studied here in Baghdad. I finished my bachelor's in 2007 and then uh, almost uh, two and a half years ago, I decided to basically take a sabbatical leave to finish my master's. And so the translation, is that uh, English or uh, another language? Yes, English translation. I have, uh, I've 
had good English language uh, ever since high school, the uh, education system here. So I'm basically self-taught and school-taught. And uh, I listen to music, uh, songs, watch movies. <laughs> so I learned my English in Iraq. It's difficult for some Iraqis themselves to believe sometimes. But we, we had a very good uh, education system. That's it. Your, your English. I mean, your, your English is, is it's, it's stunning. I mean, it, it really is ever so clear. Thank you very much. All learned in Iraq. So what are you going to do with your, with your English language skills? What, uh, what's the plan? One of my strength points, basically, is learning new languages. So I'm trying to add French to it. And translation, especially when it has Arabic in the, in the, in the equation, it's very important. I might as well, in the future, probably enhance my academic uh, career, maybe take a PhD and then join the staff of one of the faculties in any university, whether in Baghdad or abroad. We will see where life takes us. And also you said creative writing. Your original degree was with creative writing. Do you, do you write as well? Do you, have you written anything, any novels or poetry? Not as yet. I do not. Uh, basically, all the things that I have started, attempted uh, or attempted to write is, uh, you know, poetry, just little pieces, bits and pieces, uh, some, of, uh, uh, some of the diaries or short stories maybe, but I have never published anything. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I can safely say that. Not yet. So are you, are you working at all now in Baghdad, now that you've finished your uh, degree? Yes, I work at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Baghdad. I work as a diplomat. As a, as a diplomat? Yes. So what, is, what does your work involve as, as a diplomat? Most of the people think that it's either like a secret service or others think it's like traveling all the time, but it's actually mostly paperwork <laughs> in the organization trying to coordinate the uh, letters between the international organizations and our relevant uh, institutions and ministries and about that, uh, trying to get things done. Uh, it, it's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> I had this sort of romantic uh, notion in my head that you know you were you were traveling you know by sort of you know traveling across deserts and mountains and you know meeting. Uh... <laughs> there is this uh, traveling part indeed. Every two years or three years, basically, there's a list of um, members of the foreign service they, uh, where they are allocated to work abroad in the embassies or consulates uh, around the world. So this is part of our job description too, you know, to work uh, within the staff members of our uh, missions abroad to help either the, our Iraqi communities abroad, um, enhance the political relations with other countries, bilateral and multilateral. So will you, will you then go abroad somewhere? Yes, yes, indeed. I, I am expecting a posting in April next year, hopefully, if everything goes well, and uh, otherwise we will just uh, be postponed for another year. And uh, in 2022, there will be another posting. Do you know where you might be posted? Well, basically, we are uh, requested to write three countries that we see ourselves working in and the rationale behind it. And then you have an interview to discuss why you have chosen those countries. And maybe it's a chance for you to convince the committee to accept this request to work in, in a certain place. So, I mean, the obvious question is, which three countries? Well, 
given the fact that uh, I am working on my French uh, language, I am single. Uh, Geneva is a good uh, is a good place to go because uh, the work there is uh, intense. It is uh, in English and of course in French, so we will have that also to work on. Um, Spain is one of the other countries. I, I I am personally interested in the culture there and the United States. Obviously, I can I can really relate in working there or the United Kingdom. Often a kind of a perception in the West, and I don't know, it, it, it's maybe based on ignorance, but the, the perception in the West also is, is that um, a, as a woman uh, in, in Iran, Iraq, and various other Muslim countries, that your opportunities are perhaps uh, less than, say, a man. What is it like then for a, a woman in your position in Iraq? Do you have the same uh, opportunities as uh, a man would? Well, I have to say there is a misperception by the West when it comes to women's bro in uh, countries such as uh, Iraq or Iran uh, for that matter. But uh, if we go very back in history that uh, we had ministers that are women, um, leaders that are women, we've had uh, lots of um, famous uh, either singers or you know, social activists that are women. My my grandmother was one of the pioneers in, in uh, leading the uh, women's union back in the 50s. She is a, a scientist. She is a, she studies history and she has mentioned, she has uh, published lots of articles. She has a PhD and basically my mother is a, um, she works as a, uh, you know, that specialized, supervisor on administrations of high schools administrations she works with at the ministry of education so growing up we have seen women in our family have their jobs they're working they're also leading their lives and uh, managing their kids lives in in at the household so we have, we have played our role and our our father me and my sisters we had a very supportive father that was you know he has uh, insisted that we finish our high schools, we finish our colleges. He, he, he saw that he made sure that we are surrounded by every opportunity to further our education, be independent. It really is, you know, disappointing to see that uh, misperception because what they see is an image and it's an image that's distorted due to the media um, because in the media, you, you know, when it bleeds, it leads. So Mostly it's the negative uh, perceptions. and But I am hopeful that with technology and with such interviews like the one we are having right now, people will know that Iraq is a place where women are taking taking the lead, especially after, you know, 2003. Like uh, a lot of the girls have are now aspiring to have their jobs and working with their own uh, entrepreneurship projects and taking their roles in supporting their families. At the same time, we do have our challenges. I know that this is mostly what, what others, other countries see in the media. But again, we, we are very strong women that we, and we take our uh, roles seriously in the, in the society, in the families, and of course, in our jobs. You mentioned 2003. You said after 2003. What, 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 what happened in 2003 that caused this change? 2003 was the invasion of the U.S. Uh, forces and uh, other countries uh, to Iraq. So uh, the reason I'm saying that women have uh, 
you know, have more responsibilities after that particular year is that because they have now been put in a situation where the tension or the uh, sectarian tension has caused uh, a loved one to die or a family supporter. So they stepped up to work and support your family members and kids. So before the 2003, we had the previous regime was a, a, obviously a dictatorship. It was a classic dictatorship regime. But then again, the, the war was not there. That environment of the war and the, the tanks in the streets back in the, in the days were not there. It was a, a classic everyday today life with no internet, no cell phones, no nothing. And you're isolated. But again, you have this stable and like between two quotation marks if you if you know what i'm saying like stable environment it's it's not a perfect uh, environment but it's at least it was stable we had infrastructure we had running daily life basic services uh, a ration a monthly ration cards or allocations of food but again like it, it was not perfect and after the 2003 there was this sudden very big change on a lot of the um, on a lot of the scales, uh, on a lot of levels in Iraq. And that has, you know, it always takes its toll on women, the wars, the invasions, whatever crises that are, whatever crises that a country faces basically take their toll on women. So women in Iraq have stepped up after 2003 to take their role. history of Iraq since 2003 has been quite up and down, I think it's safe to say. As, as you quite rightly said, there is a, a, a Western perception of what happened and what life was like in Iraq that we saw through the, the, the prism of a television lens and perhaps not through uh, enough people from Iraq. I just wonder if you could just tell me about what life has been like since since 2003 and then uh, Daesh and, and the turmoil that, that happened during that time. And then after, now now that Baghdad and, and Iraq is returning to, and I say the word normal, but normality, but a, a new kind of dawn for Iraq. It was very challenging because the US-led invasion on Iraq was... Um basically had its toll on uh, on the Iraqi environment, not only political, but also the social uh, environment, uh, given the fact that the the, the Bremer government uh, the, have, have uh, made some of the mistakes in those uh, times. Uh, they have uh, dismantled all the... Uh, the army, they have dismantled the army and the institution of the army and recollected that again. So we have lost a lot of the expertise that we have had in the past. And it was sort of a reaction to a dictatorship that has lasted for a very, very long time. And the people who have stepped up ever since 2003, they need to be, they need to have much more training. They need to have much more training on how to run a country, how to act in such a very volatile environment. It's, it's a change. It's a, I think Iraq is yet to be a democracy. It's, it's a transitional area that we are experiencing. And Iraq is yet to be a democracy because what we see now is a reaction. Uh, so there is little tolerance to whatever that has a relation to the previous regimes or 
they cannot hear anything about anything that's that's the bath party or it's 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 a banned party from um, action in Iraq. So in my opinion, and I think here we need to be very neutral in approaching the politics in Iraq. We need to be very neutral in telling the story of of Iraq because being emotional will not get us anywhere. It will just further drown us into this turmoil that we need to breathe and get out of. And I'm sure that this will happen in the future and get all the basic services to all the people, work on the security situation first. And that's especially uh, uh, necessary uh, after the uh, control of Daesh over large areas of land. And uh, thankfully we have... um, celebrated beating and combating ISIS. But Daesh is also, it's a, it's a mentality. Daesh is a mentality where you have to basically just deprive others from freedom of expression. And this we find in Western and in Eastern countries as well. So I think by uh, combating Daesh, we need to be very open. So... Iraq is moving forward slowly, as you say, and it's now things are returning to not normality, but sort of the new normal in in the whole of Iraq. There are certain uh, areas where we have challenges and, uh, you know, given the fact that the the government needed the aid of some tribal forces to join and uh, to join the fight against Daesh. Now the, 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 the rule of law needs to be re-strengthened again. And uh, the institutions need to take their role again in, in, in the country. So that's, that's a process, a new normality. But amongst all of this, Iraqis live their lives, uh, everyday lives, in, in a normalcy. After the 2003, there was, a, uh, there was a, a, an obvious unrest in the security situation where we had to have curfews. And uh, basically, there was a lot of tension. So there were the the army's uh, uh, vehicles would be deployed in the streets, and we would have curfews from eleven o'clock onwards. Some of the days we had curfews until uh, starting six o'clock in the afternoon. So we had to rush in from our schools and work to get in the house immediately before the curfew starts. And we it would be difficult for us to you know explain to the army that we need to go back to our places and everything. So. When COVID happened, basically, it was um, not much to comprehend as a new situation. We have been there before in our houses. And with with the Iraqi mentality, it is always uh, nice to spend time with family. And uh, it's, it's not something new for us because family life is very vibrant at our side of the, of the planet. So <laughs> we enjoy our teas and breakfasts and get-togethers, except that COVID has restricted that a little bit. So we activated the, the social media arena and we contacted, uh, we contacted our families and distant neighbors uh, that way. But uh, as soon as the curfew was uh, opened, we have resumed our social life uh, as, as we used to before. But of course, you, you had a, a kind of a, a personal experience with, with COVID yourself. Yes. Um, basically, after three weeks of the curfew, we had to go back to work. And uh, I was very keen that I do not get infected. So we had our, our disinfectants with us. We wear masks every day that we go to work. 
But then again, it's, it's, it's coronavirus is not something that you cannot for sure avoid. People make mistakes. So probably if you ask me, I do not know exactly where this virus came from. Um, but basically, I, ha- I was I was uh, diagnosed with the coronavirus four days after showing some symptoms, um, which I reacted to by isolating myself completely at the house. Luckily, no one in the house got infected with coronavirus. And uh, I, it took me a full month of, uh, you know, isolation to get through this whole experience. I get the impression from from the way you've been speaking about your fellow countrymen that Iraqis tend to kind of look after one another. So uh, on a daily basis, there is a lot that Iraqis do to help one another. And donations and uh, uh, philanthropic work has been a lot of um, a good part of the society's way of getting together to combat all kinds of crises, not only COVID-19. We do not sleep if our neighbor is hungry. That's, that's a Prophet Muhammad's uh, saying. Do not sleep uh, when your uh, neighbor is hungry. So it is, it is an invitation to think about other people, you know, uh, welfare. And it's not just you in the world. It, it's, there has to be philanthropy. What we call Silat Raham, it is uh, the, the bonding with your relatives as well. It is not about just money, but also about like just calling and saying hi, asking about how they're doing, just getting them into the family for a, a dinner or a supper or lunch or something. It's, it's all about that. Where, where, do you, where do you kind of see the future going in Iraq? If that's not too big a question. I know it's a big question, but... It is a big question, and, and, but it's not that difficult to answer, really. Iraq is a, is a rich country with its people. And even though that we are learning our lessons and learning how to cope with the change that has happened and, uh, you know, by helping one another, I, I can see that, you know, the awareness in the political arena that the split between members of the parliaments, for instance, and the government should not create like sectarian tensions on the street. I see that one of the very important keys to helping Iraq's future is building a very good education system. We need to educate our youth on the bad effects of racism, of sectarianism, of all kinds of tensions. We have brilliant minds. We think out of the box. And I think this should be employed in, in, into the surface, the service of the future of Iraq. I think that's a, a marvelous way perhaps to end this interview. Shukran, shukran, David. Thank you very much. Afwan. <laughs> ah, very interesting. Now you, you know how to reply on the, on the thank you. Rather than me say uh, Afwan, I should actually say shukran to you. Well, it's been really, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you ever so much. I really, really do appreciate your time. Keep well, keep safe. You too, David. You too. 